here with you all. That was uh, a little over 30 years ago, believe it or not. Oh, that's all. Yeah. So sometimes the days roll by awful quick, don't they? I just want to start with a, a big thank you to you all for your prayers for us as we've been here, but also as uh, we've been over in New Guinea for the last uh, 10 years. Um, and for the ministry that the Lord has enabled us to be involved with over there. And uh, as we, we start, just a, a brief update. Uh, I know many of you were here in October. We talked about uh, New Guinea, the ministry that the Lord has us in there, and some of the things that have been going on. But um, we're still we're hearing some good reports, some exciting things happening over there. And one that just thrills my heart, and I trust it will yours too as you hear it. Um, there is a, a group of people there in a place called Dome, D-O-M. They're in the highlands of New Guinea. To get there, it's um, every time we're driving out there, we're, we're always in a four-wheel drive vehicle. But uh, I should say every time that a certain missionary co-worker is with us, he said, Bill, this is what it's like to drive in the Discovery Channel. You know, you watch the Discovery Channel and the things that, are, that go on there, and we, you feel like you're just going to the absolute end of the earth, the road just at times you stop and, okay, is this the road or is that the road? Uh, it, it's very questionable. We do four-wheel driving like people pay big bucks to do here in the States. And uh, it's, not, it's not all that fun. But anyway, but the dome is at the end of that road, the, the village where there's a, a small local assembly of believers. And um, there have been a number of missionaries for about 40 years working with uh, the people in dome. There are actually two, two local churches out there. But we just received word in November that the missionary uh, couple, Jim and Judy Burdett, um, they were a family there in the tribe, but their children are all grown and uh, back here in the States, and some of them have families of their own. And, and so they've been there for a number of years, but we just received word that uh, Jim finished drafting the New Testament. And it just uh, thrills my heart. He's, he's been at it for years and years and years, 25 plus. And, um, they have it. It's, it's almost done. It's still going to take a little while for them to format it and to completely check it. But uh, that's one, one word we got from New Guinea. Uh, the things are, that are happening in Sino are also thrilling to our hearts. It's really the, the life of the body of Christ that they're seeing there. Seven days a week they're having Bible studies for all different people, young people, old people, uh, the whole, whole range. And um, folks are growing. Teachers that... Uh, just three years ago, didn't even know how to read, are now standing up and uh, sometimes haltingly reading through scriptures, but they are being faithful and they are teaching each other and they're growing and they're, and they're moving ahead. And uh, that's just the story of what's happening in Sino. But uh, the Lord is doing that work in many, many other places. So I just want to say thank you for your part in our ministry, allowing us to be a part of that. Um, there are some challenges, things happening over there. Uh, uh, another prayer request is that uh, two new families are planning to arrive in January, so pray for them. One of them is in Europe right now, the other one is in, uh, here in the States, and uh, Satan throws his darts at the people that are at this stage in their ministry, just starting out, uh, hoping to get to New Guinea real soon. Uh, just pray for those families. But on the flip side of that, just in the last few months, we've also heard that uh, three families that have been on the field for a number of years are leaving the field, and um, some have already departed, others uh, are getting close to, to leaving the field in the next uh, 
month or two. So um, pray for us. Pray that the Lord would continue to faithfully raise up laborers and that they would be able to get to New Guinea and be able to minister along with us because the needs there are still very significant. So uh, that said, I'd like to have us, um, we already read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's going to be our main text where we end up today. But I'd like to have you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I titled this, as you'll see in your, your bulletin, A Reflection of Christ. And I thought this appropriate, uh, considering the, the season, considering the passage that the Lord had drawn me to, to, to talk about. Um, and uh, we just want to keep that in mind, that we are thinking about ourselves as a reflection of Christ. And we'll get chapter 3 hits very sp specifically on that, that uh, thought. So we'll get there. But um, if you're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'd like to read, starting in verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your completely revealed uh, word that we have uh, in our language that we can understand. Thank you for the privilege we have to be here together and to look into it. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, do a work in each of our hearts, Lord. Um, open our hearts, challenge our hearts, encourage us. And Lord, just, uh, yeah, we just want to commit this time to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So in, in looking at this, um, again, we're going to end up in chapter 5, but I wanted to step back just a little bit, give a little bit of uh, history. We, we're familiar with the, the book of Corinthians. Uh, this is the second book written to the Corinthians. The first book was addressing some very significant issues that they were having. Um, this book moves on a little bit from there. But we see uh, some instructions here that Paul gives. And in, uh, as, as we think of being a reflection of Christ, in chapter 3 it talks about the mirror illustration, and, and we'll get there. But we just read these verses from chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And it talks about uh, that we, we should give thanks to God, but thanks be to God, and this is Paul speaking, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. And I thought about it. It goes on a little bit further that we are an aroma of Christ, a sweet aroma of Christ. Uh, Paul, th that was Paul's testimony here. And to those that believe, but also to those that don't believe, to one, an aroma of death unto death, to the other, an aroma of life unto life. That's a sobering concept there as, as we think about that. What, what are we actually dealing with there? And I'd like us to, uh, if, if you want to flip back to, to John chapter 3, just, just to look at this concept here. Um, starting at verse 17, we all know 16. Actually, I'll read verse 16, John three sixteen. 
and read uh, a few verses here. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be made manifested as having been wrought in God. So we have here uh, two sides of things. Verse 18, we see that he who believes in God is not judged, but he that doesn't is judged already. And it's a truth that we have and uh, that is, is very much true to us. And it's, it's this concept of, of those, we are a savor of those from death unto death. The message that we have, the message of Christmas, the one that we stand up and we, we speak about, the one that we have gone to New Guinea to carry, is a message of death to those that don't believe. And I think this is a, a fact that we need to, to rest on. But then again, it is a message of life, unto life for those that do believe. Verse 21 says, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So for those of us that are believers, we, we thrive, we, we understand the fact that this message is unto life. But yet for those that don't, it's not. So it's just a principle here. As we are a fragrance of Christ, we need to recognize the fact that that fragrance may not be, it's, it's a fragrance unto God, and it is sweet. For those of us that believe, it is a sweet-smelling fragrance. For those that don't, it's not. It's not. And we're seeing that these days. Uh, I've been asked over and over again, what, is, what do you see here in America as you come back, at being gone for so many years and you come back? And that's one of the things that I've noticed so uh, prominently uh, before we would hear little stories about, about uh, people being offended by the name of Christ. You'd hear little things. But it is every single day in the newspapers these days. Whether it's a nativity scene, and it may not even be that anybody was trying to promote anything to do with the truth of Christmas, but yet people are offended. People are losing privileges, losing rights. So we see this fact that the message that we have is not well received by everybody. It's not a message of life for everybody, only to those that believe. So as, as we go on here, um, I'd like to, to skip down just a little bit to uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. We're going to follow through with this thought of uh, life and death and how this, how this actually affects us as believers. Chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed... What had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, 
much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We'll just stop there for right now. We, we have here introduced in verse 17, where we'll go next, is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit in our lives and, and what that leads us to. But um, I did a little exercise, and I tried as the, the best that I could to be objective in this thing, to think about uh, what this may have been like for those that were possibly hearing it for the first time, some of these, these things, or being reminded of these things. And I went back to Exodus, and I read the, the uh, rendition of Moses when um, he had gone up to uh, receive the Ten Commandments, and he, he uh, spent time with God. You'll remember the story. He came back, and his face shone. And I tried to think of that as, um, as someone that had not ever read or, or knew the ensuing story. It was, it was an interesting thing. I don't know how objective I was, but, um, but I trust that as I did that, I could ha have an, a little bit more of an appreciation of, of some of these things. And I, I, I realized that um, the concept of having a veil, I had always thought about it as Moses had seen God or, or had been with God and the, the, his face was glowing so that uh, the Israelites couldn't look upon him, so he covered up his face with a veil. But I had never really thought about this process of him wearing that veil so that the Israelites didn't see the, the dissipation of that glory that was on his face or the shining. And it's really rather an interesting thing to think about there. But we see here that um, the, the principle that I want to bring out from this passage as we lead up to chapter 5 is that there was the Israelites. They, they, they were very familiar. Those that received this would have been familiar with Moses and the work of uh, Moses in the wilderness and, and all that had to do with the law. But the, the principle is that there was a law, the law of Moses, which was glorious in its day. It, it served an incredible purpose, and it still is for us. It's not of no um, use to us today, but there was a, another glory that came that superseded it, and we see that here in verse um, 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. And so we know that as Jesus Christ came, the glory that came from what he accomplished at Calvary far superseded that of the law. And we understand that. So we, we move on from there, uh, down into verse 17. Or verse 16, let me just read it. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, okay? So we have this concept of um, not being able to see clearly through a veil, but then the veil is taken away, and it, and it opens up the, our ability to see. Even in verse 15, it says, but to this day when the law of Moses is read, it's like a veil lies over their heart. It, it darkens their heart and their understanding. So in verse 17, it says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We'll talk a little bit more about liberty in a few minutes here. 
but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit and uh, I'd like to read that from from a, a different uh, text that really simplifies it and I think it, it uh, puts it into modern language that we can understand a little bit better. This is verse 18. It says, and all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. And it, it brings us to that, that concept of being a reflection of Christ. As the spirit ministers in, in our lives, we, uh, we can be a reflection. We can be like a mirror that reflects Jesus Christ. We need to be that way. And we'll, we'll move on uh, a little bit more with that thought in a few minutes. But um, before we do, I'd like to just have us flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 and read, uh, read briefly here. This is a, a summary that, that I think summarizes this, um, this concept from, from chapter uh, 3 of 2 Corinthians that there was the law. In verse 7 of chapter 3 of Corinthians, it says, But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So we understand it was even referred to as the ministry of death, that the law, which was, um, became our schoolmaster, we understand the process there. No one was able to fulfill that law. It, it revealed to us our, our lost condition as it did to those that were there. Understanding that and then understanding the new glory that is ours. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says here, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So moving, moving on here, we, we have uh, the spirit of the Lord and in, in the liberty that is ours in verse 17, which we're going to look at in a few more minutes. And then we understand the glory that came because of what Jesus Christ came to do and how that superseded the glory of the previous uh, covenant of the law. We see introduced here in chapter 4 uh, 
I'll just start with, with verse 1 and, and read through a few verses. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or, adultering, or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the gods of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The, this was, um, as Paul was, was writing this, I uh, just want a little bit of history with it. Uh, there were those that were questioning Paul's authority. And so part of what we're reading here is an explanation of how Paul was saying, uh, we have not come here and deceitfully uh, taught, we're not walking in craftiness. And, and so that, that's verse 2. But um, he brings out here in verse 5 a premise that needs to be true of each of us as, as believers. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And Paul recognized that all he had was the message that he was preaching. That's what he had. He was just a servant and a, uh, verse 7, we, we didn't read that, but he was just an earthen vessel. He was an instrument that God was using. And so he's presenting that, that, that uh, idea that he, he was legitimate in ministry. And then in verse 6, it says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And uh, I, I'd like us to um, turn over to John chapter 1. We're doing a lot of flipping here, but we'll, we'll get to chapter 5 in just a minute. John chapter 1, this... Uh, in, in this concept of, of Christ being the light, the light shall shine out of darkness, I couldn't help but, but be, come back to this chapter one here and remembering the, that God incarnate came to earth. And I um, thought this was specifically appropriate in, the, in light of the Christmas season. Let's just start reading. I'm gonna read the first 14 verses. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We saw that over in chapter 3 already. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think of the expression of love and grace that was for God to send his son incarnate. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came to earth. And that is the, the miracle of this season, so to speak. Again, we've heard already this morning, it wasn't just about the birth of a baby. That was a significant thing in the fulfillment of many, many prophecies. All the different things that happened and has uh, the angels opened up their voices and, and lifted up their voices and, and brought praise uh, even to him as a baby. But the fact that God incarnate came to earth to live not just to live, but to die for us and to provide for us a life that is uh, abundantly uh, joyful and, and it can be full. Um, that's just an incredible thing. So as we, as we move ahead here, um, the rest of chapter 4, first part of chapter 5, uh, Paul is talking about his, his ministry specifically. We're in 2 Corinthians again. Um, and we're going to kind of skip down a little bit to the passage that we've already read and take a look at, at some truths from there. But as, um, as we move through there, we, we see uh, the fact that Paul was uh, diminishing his role in the whole thing and, and lifting up God, and I think that is a, a significant thing. But um, in chapter 5, let me just start reading with verse 9. Read these two verses, and then we'll get into the passage that we've already read. It says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And it's on that premise that there is... Uh, a reality that our actions here on earth do have eternal ramifications. There, there is this, this judgment seat of Christ at which all true believers will receive rewards for the good that they've done and also uh, they um, will receive, be recompensed whether, for whether good or bad, as we see in verse 10. So that's the premise that we're, we're moving into verse 11 with. And um, Paul was again... Uh, he was validating his ministry to the people that he was writing to there. And the first couple of verses talk about this um, here, and in, in starting in verse 11, it's basically saying that the things that we have done, in, in verse 13, it's, the essence of it is that whether you think those things are foolishness or wise, if you think our actions, that we are beside ourselves because of our actions, that is for God's sake. If, if you think that we are of sound mind or wise, it is for your sake. So he was basically saying, we are here. The things that we have done are for your purpose. And his motivation for that is in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So this is Paul's motivation a declaration that it's Christ's love and that the things that they were doing, referring back to, to chapter 4, chapter 5, that them being willing to put themselves out, uh, face death, persecution, those things that made no sense to the people, 
the fact that they were willing to do those things were for the purpose of, uh, they were motivated by the love of Christ and it was for the purpose of seeing God glorified among the Corinthian people. So that's just a, uh, a nutshell of, of where we're going with that. But uh, back in chapter two, we talked about the spirit that leads to this law of liberty. And this is where we're, I really wanna get into uh, looking at this passage for just a few more minutes here. In verse 14, I think we see here a key to that concept of spiritual liberty. This is something that gets confused, and, and we could talk about it. Every, not everybody has their own personal interpretation, but we see a variety of interpretations of what spiritual liberty is like. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having con concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And this leads us to a place of true spirit-led liberty, that we no longer have to live for ourselves, but that we can live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And um, just it, it's maybe oversimplifying it, but it, it's very clearly placed here for us that our spiritual liberty comes from this. We don't have the obligation to live unto ourselves anymore, but we can live unto Christ who died and rose again on our behalf. Um, and then in verse 16, it says, therefore, because of this, because the love of Christ controls us, because we have this freedom, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Paul's simply uh, stating here that he didn't, he didn't view Christ anymore as just a human. He recognized him as the, the redeemer. And uh, before, we, we know how in, we could look at uh, early on in Acts when, when Saul was in, involved with persecuting Christians that he didn't recognize Jesus Christ as the redeemer. But now... He does. He's not looking at him the same way anymore. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's uh, flip over to the book of Romans, chapter 6. reading verse 17 one more time for us to ponder on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, 
so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we have here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the fact that if we are in Christ, if we are God's children, we are new creatures. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. I think you'll see why we, we looked at, at chapter uh, 3 there, where we were looking at Moses and, and the law that was, um, it was, uh, it led to, to death. It was, it was the old system. And then we see Christ and the work that he did and the glory that came that superseded the, the original uh, the original covenant that, that was with the Israelites there. It's on that same premise, just like we would never sit here and say that we should put ourselves under Old Testament law once again. Just that same premise that you don't go back, you don't put the veil over your eyes and see through, see, look through at things through that, through the law of Moses, because the spirit of the Lord has come and given us this law of liberty that we don't have to live unto ourselves anymore. Just like that, we don't go backwards. It's the same premise here from Romans chapter 6 that we are dead to sin. We are, the old has passed away, as we see here in verse 17. We are new creatures. So therefore, what, what is our response to this? What does this mean for us as believers? What does it lead us to? Do we go back to that old self, that, that, uh, sinful condition that we were in? Or do we recognize the fact that, as it says there in Romans 6, verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. How does this affect us? Where does it lead us to? And uh, we're moving on to, um, to some application here of truths from, from these passages. Our response to these things, so we see from verse 17, we're new creatures, old have passed away. Verse 18 says, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Again, this is Paul talking here he was talking about the ministry that he had and, and validating that ministry uh, to those that were skeptics, those that were, were doubting that. But yet there's application here for us, isn't there? All of these things, this fact that um, the love of Christ was constraining or controlling Paul, the fact that uh, if we are in Christ, we are a new creature, old things have passed away, those things that are, are true, because of those things, they, all of those things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And to think about Christ doing this, as it says here in verse 19, he was reconciling the world to himself. Those that he was, came onto and they didn't receive him, he was still accomplishing this work for them. 
not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This verses 18 and 19 brings this, this work of us being new creatures back to Christ and the work that he did there. Verse 20 reminds us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And it, it challenges me because I recognize the fact that this is a truth. Those of us that are God's children, that call ourselves God's children, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of death unto death for those that don't believe, of life unto life of those that too, do. But bringing it back personally, what kind of an ambassador am I? What kind of a reflection, recognizing the fact that we are to reflect Christ from chapter three, what kind of a reflection of Christ am I? Am I one that um, recognizes that I am humbly, I'm, I'm simply a, a vessel that God can use for his honor and glory as I have myself in a position that he can use me? Or do I, as Paul was saying, exactly that the thing that he didn't do, do I for some other purpose, as in the, the beginning of chapter four, um, with craftiness or adulterating the word of God for, or for some hidden purpose, uh, do I represent Jesus Christ? So it brings a challenge back to us, and I think each of us that are here today need to think about that fact, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ as his children. And then it goes on, it says, um, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul's saying here, this isn't for me, but we're making an appeal as though God were making this appeal through us, be reconciled to God. And this is where we as humans come up a little bit short in our understanding of how, what's the application for each one of us here. I know what it is for me. You know what it is for you. But I can't know what it is for each of you. We don't know what this idea of being reconciled to God might mean for each one of us individually. We, or, well, we know for each of us individually, I'm sorry. We, we don't know what it means for the others that are here with us. For some here this morning, this may be a very first reconciliation to God. The fact that you may not be his child yet. You may not believe. You might be in the realm of those that uh, he came for but didn't receive him. Those that may not even understand. So the reconciliation might mean for someone here this morning the salvation of your soul. For others, those that are already believers, a reconciliation could mean uh, getting something right. It could be, could be some other issue. But Paul here was, was begging those people to be reconciled to God, not on his own behalf, but as though God was making that appeal. Not that I'd like to challenge us this morning with that, that concept that God does have the desire for us to be reconciled with him if, if we are not. And I'm not assuming that every one of us here are in a position where we need to get something right before God. But the reality of it is that in a group this size, that there are those of us that do need to take steps to be reconciled to God. So a challenge to us that we are ambassadors for Christ. We do, uh, as, as we saw over here in chapter 4, that, but we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So it's, it's a transformation. It's a work in progress. It's a continual thing that we're, we're working through here. But as we reflect Christ, what is it that people see? As we are an ambassador for him, what is it that, uh, what is it that we're saying? What is it that we're doing? What is it that people are seeing? Is our life one that allows people to see Christ so that they can move into that realm of being a sweet savor of life unto life? Or is our life a distraction? So a challenge for us. And then uh, in conclusion, just looking at verse 21 here. It kind of helps us to put this all into perspective of where we fit into the whole thing. It says here that he, talking about the Father, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That along with the miracle that of, of God sending his son incarnate, God incarnate coming to earth for us, uh, that, that miracle, that expression of love and grace that he did, along with this fact that he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, lived a perfect life here on earth to be sin on our behalf. What for? Not just to pay for our price, pay the price for our, our sins, the things that we deserve. That is a part of it. That's the personal benefit we get. But here's more. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. That, that's beyond my ability to comprehend what that actually looks like. What, what does that mean? Some, someday, when we finish up here on earth and we enter eternity, I think we'll, we'll fully comprehend what this means. That God's righteousness is right. It, we have become the righteousness of God in him. This doesn't have to do with our walk. It doesn't have to do with our conduct. It has to do with the fact that Jesus Christ died for each one of us. And he's declared this to be so, that we are righteousness, that, that we are righteous in God. And um, absolutely amazing. And it brings me to a place of surrender. We, we sang a song talking about falling on our knees. Uh, we don't do that that much anymore. Just falling on our knees it, without the ability to stand up because we're, we're weak and we are in such awe of what God has done. But that's what this needs to do is we recognize that God made his son sin on our behalf so that we could be made righteous. We have been made righteous. We're declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ did. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And uh, thank you for um, opening our eyes to it. Lord, I do want to thank you on behalf of our brothers and sisters in New Guinea for uh, opening up your word to them as well. Thank you for the work in Dome. Lord, and we pray for those believers, uh, even as they are uh, seeking to walk with you uh, today and, and each day. And Lord, we do thank you for this time that we've had to uh, just look into your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.